1: Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence Communication Secrets of the C Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions, and author of Speaking to Influence Mastering Your Leadership Voice. Everybody out there knows I am a big fan of anything that supports children and families. And today is no exception. today we're going to go into the world of maternal and child health care. So my guest is none other than Milena Lance, Executive Director of Maternal Child Health Consortium in Westchester, Pennsylvania. Milena, thank you for joining me today. Thank
2: you, Lara. Thank you for having me today.
1: Now, give us your elevator pitch. What's your 30-second intro to Maternal Child Health Consortium?
2: So Maternal Child Health Consortium, we refer as MCHC. We've been around since 1991, and our mission is to advocate for and empower prenatal and parenting families to achieve healthy beginnings and a bright future through a caring culture of service. Every year, we serve over 5,000 individuals across all programs, serving Chester County, as well as some zip codes of Montgomery County.
1: I love the fact that it's both Pre and post birth, you're helping the mothers and the families, and of course, the babies before they arrive in our world, but then helping with the transition and making sure that the babies turn sort of, into children and the families continue in healthy ways, both, I believe, physically, but also emotionally and, and communally and developmentally as well. And that's such an important continuity of services that I think a lot of people don't realize that when it's disconnected, of sorts, it's like, well, okay, we make sure that your baby is born and healthy, which we all certainly appreciate, but then, okay, you're done, go have fun. Or okay, when the baby shows up or when you realize the toddler has issues or whatever it is, then we'll help you, but we don't know your history that also is very stressful. So to have that continuity of service and that trusted partnership and that care, I think is so incredibly valuable. I certainly would have appreciated having that kind of continuity for my kids as well.
2: So thank you for what you do. Thank you. And that is correct. I will say that starting, the sooner we start providing services, not only working with mom and the family members, the better. Having a healthy child, newborn at home, we know that change life and having that support and as we provide home visiting services we have trained bilingual bicultural community health workers we see a big difference there and they can come back and i am actually see many times teenagers who they were born enrolling in our program and that's wonderful
1: That's great to have that real history and relationship, that long-term relationship with your clients. And believe me, there's nothing more disorienting than adding a newborn infant into your life. There's nothing that rocks your world that tells you, no matter how educated you are, how professionally successful you are, how in control you like to think you are, you're done life will never be the same. It'll be wonderful, but you're not the boss. And whatever you had planned, I hope that made you feel good to plan it because you'll never use it again. It doesn't really matter. Your plans are out the window. Your child is the boss. Babies are like little dictators. They do not negotiate terms. You will do as they say, and that's about it. Comforting to know that there are people out there who can help you navigate that completely and utterly
2: sleep-deprived insanity. So then with all that, what's your favorite part of your job and why? I love our mission. I, I feel every day that my my job is very meaningful. When I come to work and I hear the stories of the experiences that our community health workers have every day when they serve families, I feel the impact, the positive impact that we make in families. And again, it's really meaningful to me. And I really feel very attracted for that purpose. It's the purpose of the type of services that we provide on a daily basis. and. Seeing that each family is different, um, the needs are different, and we actually start where they are, depending on their needs. And that's how we support them.
1: I think it's great, too, that you specified that part of the unique nature of the services that you provide are bilingual and bicultural. This is Spanish and English in the bilingual? Yes. And there's, of course, so many cultures. It's not like English and Spanish are each their own monolithic cultures. There's lots and lots of subcultures. And from family to family, the culture will be different. But it is still important to understand the unique cultural differences in those two larger groups. And to be able to address those needs very specifically is super important as well.
2: It is very important because, as you're mentioning, even if the families that we serve, their primary language is Spanish, they might have different culture. And so we try to provide as much as we can staff development so that we can approach families in a way that the families can feel comfortable and they can develop that trust that they need in order for them to feel confident and navigate the system and have access to, in this case, particularly healthcare access.
1: I can't even imagine trying to navigate a healthcare system in a foreign language. I mean, I speak a couple to varying degrees of proficiency. My Spanish was fluent. Now it's really rusty. But even at my best point, even having a baby in English, I had no idea what was going on (laughs) most of the time. If I had had to try to navigate the healthcare system and insurance and, and appointments and understanding all the challenges right after birth and all the classes in a second language, I can't even imagine the extra level of stress that that might have caused. And I don't know that my brain or my system would have been able to tolerate it. So to realize when we talk about communication, usually we're talking in the world of leadership communication, but it's one thing when you're trying to understand how to do your job in another language. It's another when you're trying to understand what's happening to your own body and the body that you're about to deliver into the world and the body, the physical body that you're terrified of breaking or otherwise destroying in some way, shape, or form. Because let's face it, as parents, every last one of us is an amateur. None of us get formal training on, par- I mean, yeah, you take a parenting class, but none of us have any idea what we're doing when we go into the world of parenting. We just have to learn as you go. It's total on-the-job training. So to be able to have the peace of mind of being able to hear that instruction in your native language, I think people underestimate how important that component is is and how terrifying it would be to go and and do it in a second language and think to yourself, God, I hope I understood everything she said. I hope I didn't miss the not in the do X as it was do not do X or there's so many pieces. So we're going to dig into that in a little while, too.
2: And I will say as well that there is an impact not only within the families that we serve, but also with providers. If the provider wants to make sure that perhaps mom needs some treatment or takes some medicine, for example, they want to ensure that they understand exactly how to do it and how to follow the instructions, having someone, another provider, a nonprofit organization that can actually provide support to the providers, it's also a big impact as well for the well-being of the family, of course.
1: I mean, helping doctors be able to handle or doctors and nurses and other practitioners to know that what they are communicating is actually getting through. There's nothing worse than when I was in college, I did a my junior year abroad, but in Japan. I, so Japanese is my third language. And I remember being at the very bottom of the class comparatively. I had a whole lot less training in the language when I first arrived. And I'm in this class with a bunch of other international students. And the teacher looked at me and said something, and I had no idea what he said. And I just sat there and kind of had the blank Stare smiling on my face. And this guy next to me looks over and goes, That's it, Laura. Smile and nod. Just smile and nod. I'm like, Oh, shut up. Don't come on. And of course, everybody just laughed. But I was totally mortified because it was clear that I had no clue what was happening. And that was just me sitting in a classroom. I can't even imagine if that's me sitting in an OBGYN's office wondering what you're telling me about what I should expect in the next trimester or something along those lines. so it's oh my gosh, that's so scary and important. so everybody out there when you're dealing with somebody whose native language is not yours, recognize whatever your world is healthcare IT doesn't matter that there is an additional level of stress in that that you need to give them credit for and work with them or at least not just credit in the hey good job but credit in the sense of give them empathy. For that, work with them, be a little compassionate in the nature of the speaking and delivery style. With that, what is something that is happening in your organization, something in the industry? And how do you have to adjust your messaging when you're talking to different stakeholders about it? So each of
2: the programs, we have three core programs, and each program has a different mission. So one, for example, we start working with mom and baby since pregnancy and then providing case management services until the child is 18 months. We have family benefits, which basically we have family benefits specialists who provide or assist individuals applying for health insurance and SNAP benefits. Those appointments are ongoing all day. Perhaps a family benefits specialist serves a family or seven families even in one day. And then we have the Family Center, which is more ensuring that parents have all the tools that they need to be able to help and support their children by the time they start kindergarten. And so when we provide and communicate the mission of each of the programs and we describe the the goal of each of the programs and how we measure our outcomes, it looks different based on the different audiences. Currently, I just want to share we have... A, our leadership team, which we had the opportunity to promote five managers now, were collectively working together and participating in a program where we are working on how to develop our brand by program and how we are presenting each of the programs. So we know that it looks different for each of the audiences that we are presenting. It could be presenting to different stakeholders like school districts or perhaps medical providers or community members. We call them participants. So if we are describing our services to consumers, community participants, we approach it a little bit different. What would be a difference? Can you give an example of something that you would share
1: with one, but not the other, or a way that you would, maybe language you would use, or what would be the difference between how you would approach schools? I don't mean approach as far as marketing, but what would be different in your messaging, talking to schools versus healthcare providers versus your participants, your members?
2: Correct. So we first identify what the needs are For example, a community participants might have questions about, do you provide transportation? Or how often do you provide home visiting services? Do I need to be in person at all home visits, for example? Or can we meet virtually? And so the description is a little bit different. We try to, during the enrollment process or the enrollment visit, we try to describe the whole program, like how services are going to look like. But if, for example, we are presenting and describing our services to other providers, if it's a medical provider, we ensure that they know and and they have a clear message about how we can work with them, how we can work with them in collaboration. These are the services that we provide. So if it's a medical provider, for example, learning about what the plan of the maternity care unit, for example, at the hospital has, that we make sure that the community participants understand the times, who to call, how to navigate the system. And so when we communicate these to providers, then we developed better collaborations and partnerships. When we also provide, for example, describe our programs to different donors, perhaps they're more interested in supporting pregnant moms. But perhaps another donor is more interested in providing early childhood development or we talk about the kindergarten program. So we ensure that we learn about the different needs that the audience have and then we're able to identify what will be the best approach to provide the message and describe our programs. Yes.
1: And donors, especially in nonprofits, the donor world is a very important audience that you definitely can't overlook. It's a priority. That's right. <laughs> and, you know, I just want to go back to something you mentioned a moment ago. You used the term SNAP benefits. Do you want to just describe? Because I think that's it's important contextually, just very simply. What does SNAP mean?
2: Yes, I'm, I'm so sorry. So SNAP means is the food benefits. So that's an application that is similar using the same state system called Compass to apply for the benefits. So it's similar to the health insurance application, but it has a different set of questions. And once the family, by income, once the Chester County, in this case, Chester County Assistance Office, receive the application and they determine that the family is eligible to receive the benefits, then the family will actually receive a card that they can use for what we call food stamps. So they have a specific amount of money that they can use to buy groceries and buy food. I just
1: wanted to make sure that I understood and that everybody else did, because that also is indicative in that your population primarily is people who are more socioeconomically disadvantaged, if I understand correctly. This is not just a typical go to your mega health provider, prenatal Lamaze classes or whatever else. This is A service in particular that aims toward helping those that otherwise would not have access to the more mainstream health care opportunities, either because of financial gaps or simply because of lack of awareness due to culture and due to language and due to whatever else. So it is more of a unique nonprofit in that it's so specialized for that. So when you start getting not just into language and culture in that way, but when you add the socioeconomic layer to it, that's a whole different kind of culture to attend and the needs that will be need to be served are very different as well. So that's really part of the unique value proposition of what
2: MCHC offers. Am I understanding that correctly? Correct. And our programs, none of our programs, we don't have like an income criteria, particularly But, And the reason for that is because we know that anyone might need the education, the emotional support that we provide when we serve families. But however, like most of our families that we serve are low-income families.
1: In learning to talk to all these different groups, whether it's your participants, your providers, your donors, the schools and other partnerships, et cetera, in working your way up and in over your career journey overall, how have you had to learn to shift your speech style to approach or to connect with different groups? And was it ever difficult to make that adjustment?
2: Yes, I will say at the beginning, it was a little bit difficult. I honestly could say that I'm very because I've been now 18 years with MCAC <laughs> I feel like I can shift the way how we are presenting our programs and describing our services I feel that I'm able to mainly respond to different questions and clarify the way how we provide services however I always need to make sure that I prepare ahead of time as I mentioned as well like looking at our audience learning more about the type of audience that we're going to have, if it's a meeting, if it's a networking event, if it's a formal presentation, if it's a annual fundraising event, if it's our participants, we provide parenting classes, for example. So I make sure that I prepare ahead of time so that I can be clear as much as I can. I will say that's an ongoing effort that I will even continue doing, just preparing ahead of time so that I can have a clear communication description of the services that we provide.
1: Was there any particular audience that you ever felt really intimidated speaking in front of? I will say not currently at MCHC. Well, not currently. You've been there for 18 years, so nothing scares you at this point. Yes, you know the
2: ropes. You could do it in your sleep. But I could share with you, I am used to work for another nonprofit in Philadelphia called Congreso, very proudly working for Congreso years ago. Yes, they were one of our guests uh, a while ago as well. Love, uh, Yeah, Calorina de Georgia is amazing. Yes, so I used to work in a domestic violence program. And part of my role at the time, it was to provide presentations, at least five presentations every day around the city to different providers, particularly hospitals and emergency departments. And so, to be honest, when I was talking about the topic of domestic violence, perhaps to nurses or medical providers, I felt a little bit intimidated because they didn't have questions. Seems more like, okay, you're telling me nothing new. So at that time, for example, I remember feeling a little bit intimidated in front of an audience. And I used to have perhaps even five medical providers and perhaps 30. Yes, I can imagine. And there's nothing more
1: awkward than when you're trying to talk to a group and you give your presentation
2: and they just stare at you. There's no engagement there's no questions. Exactly. No engagement. So I still remember those times. However, I think it was a positive experience for myself to even learn more about how to develop presentations skills, mainly when you have particular topics that might not have that type of uh, opening remarks or engaging the audience that easy than other topics.
1: Sure. And of course, talking about domestic violence and those kinds of issues is never exactly a High energy, super enthusiastic, happy conversation either. So you really need to work on how to build some engagement structures into the presentation more often than not. (laughs) Yes. Well, Milena, this brings us to our listener 24 hour influence challenge. So this is your opportunity to talk directly to our audience and challenge them to take one step that they can complete within 24 hours to have more influence. How would you like to challenge our listeners today?
2: I will say, Thinking, like keeping in mind at least one accomplishment that they have actually done. Keep it in mind and then do something really kind to help others. It's really related to our mission. It's what we leave every day at MCAC. Uh, and And so just having that experience that you're making a difference, at least with one person, I will put that as a challenge. Like do something to help others within the next 24 hours. And that you can actually have your mindset as seeing the positive aspect of it, even if the situation is a difficult one. I think it was
1: Mother Teresa who said you don't need to do great acts, just small acts with great love. Correct. (laughs) That's beautiful. So small acts of kindness, pick something, hold a door, get someone a cup of coffee, ask how their day is where you don't normally inquire, ask how they're doing or ask for an update if you know they had family trouble or they had whatever challenges they weren't feeling well a few days ago, check in. So little acts of kindness with great love. Little things, exactly. And is there a time when you had to have a difficult conversation with somebody, maybe some bad news to share or just an uncomfortable situation? How'd you handle it? So
2: very calm. I'm a very calm person. I could be Perhaps I could be having or experiencing a little bit of anxiety, but I usually communicate in a very calm manner. To tell you a tough story, perhaps, you know, as a leader of an organization, you know, in the past, for example, I have had to let staff members go, for example, regardless. Could be because of funding purposes or any other situation. And those are not good news. <laughs> I will say no one enjoys doing that I'm giving those news. However, again, it's like seeing the positive aspect of it. Sometimes, even within the worst situation to that person, when you're delivering the news, perhaps it could be something that needed to happen so that another opportunity can open later. And so I've been, again, like try to prepare ahead of time how to deliver the message, how to deliver the news, and then to help the other person to be able to process the news or the situation. At the time. Can you give an example of one time when you had to do that and how you executed those steps? Oh, yes. So perhaps like a few years ago, I needed to tell a staff member, we have no more funding for this specific role, let them go. And just, I took the time. I really took the time. Like I blocked even the whole day just to dedicate, just in case, just to prevent if the person needed more time, to also explain the big why. I think that is really important that they know exactly the why and then try to support as much as we can. And so that even if it's delivering hard news for the person, just to acknowledge that it could be a big impact for that person. So being supportive. Is there something that you said, can you remember some of the phrasing you used to
1: show that empathy that of course nobody wants to hear that their position is being cut. So how did you
2: do that in a way that? maybe soften the blow or otherwise help them accept? So I will say speaking slowly, answer questions and being very transparent at the same time. Perhaps I will open the conversation and I remember, I'm trying because that was years ago. I'm so happy that that hasn't happened in years now, which I'm happy about that. I'm proud. I will say, I know that this might be hard news for you. I want to have or take the time to have a, a, this conversation. And, and I know these are here for you and then I will deliver the news and I will as, also make sure that I mentioned, and I did mention, remember, anything you might need, I'm here. And even it happened with when we had to let some few staff members go years ago, if they needed support with guidance, like where to go, what to do, health insurance, what's going to happen with my health insurance, for example. So just being available after that. And we were able to provide the support that they needed, including these days. Like I know some of the staff members, they were very successful working for other organizations as well. And yes, it is also a good feeling for myself knowing that, as I mentioned before, perhaps it was something positive that happened so that they could have a different and a bigger opportunity later on. And in providing all of these services, whether, thank goodness,
1: it's not laying people off anymore because everything's nice and established now, but In the last couple of years, of course, we've all had to shift here to the virtual world. How has that affected your team? And more specifically, how has your virtual presence improved over the last year or two? And what would help you to be even more successful, more confident, or more effective in the virtual world?
2: So two years ago, when the pandemic started, It was a little bit of a challenge for the staff member, for all of us. At first, we had to work from home. A parenthesis, a positive aspect is that because we have been working mobile for several years, meaning like each staff member, we have our laptop, we have a direct line on our cell phone. So we were able to transition working from home, I would say easily, because we had the equipment. However, at first it was challenging just number one, thinking how I'm going to do this visit when we've been providing home visiting services in person for the last 29 years at the time. And so just leaving that transition and the leadership team provided the support that the staff needed at the time to be able to do that transition because we started to even educate our program participants on how to connect virtually either using their cell phones or I cannot be on camera. So we started doing like phone calls, internal meetings. So team meetings, we started developing specific times instead of doing the meetings in person. Then we were connecting virtually to answer your question. Throughout the year, even our staff members, they started doing what we call today the check-in meetings. They started connecting every morning, everyone from home, 8.30, 8.30, which is our start time, everyone's starting the day together. That was the meaning at the time. We cannot be together in person because we're not going to the office, but we're connecting every morning. So the meaning of not like being on micromanaging each other is really connecting and still starting our day together. And then at the end of the day, they will actually share summary of their day. And so now that we're back in person, home visits are in person. We're still having the check-in meetings. (laughs) Some staff members, they are still meeting on a daily basis. Meetings are minutes, from five minutes to 10 minutes. It's just like a check-in. And also, it's been a way for the staff members to support each other. Perhaps it's not only work related but it's really nurturing themselves. So that's a good habit that we have been developing. What have we learned is that now we are hybrid. We know that perhaps it's more productive to do weekly team meetings remotely. Everyone is connecting from their offices or perhaps if they're working from home that day. We have developed more flexibility, but we're still connecting and we're also conducting meetings and home visits in person. Um, So I will say... I will proudly say that as an organization, we've been evolving in providing home visiting services remotely, as well as meetings, both in person and then remotely.
1: And what is something that you feel like you could still stand to improve as far as
2: the effectiveness or the value of your virtual presence? I would say as an improvement is that we, and we can continue improving as an organization, is that now we know that even connecting with families in a virtual environment, it makes a big impact. Before, we were not really open-minded at all that, okay, if it's not in person, it's not going to work. However, we have learned that still many of the visits are more productive in person. But we have, for example, we have less family members canceling appointments, for example, or home visits, because now we have the access to connect remotely. And so across the board, within the organization, we are confident that we can connect virtually. And so we can continue to improve equipment, time management. Now doing both, it's a little bit of an adjustment, but we know it can happen and the quality of services that we're providing is much better, I will say. It's, it's higher than what we were providing before because we're connecting with families regardless. That's so
1: important there. And let's go from, you've gone from prenatal to now newborn and then into toddlers and children. And even mentioned you stick with people. There are families that you're still connected with and communicating with as the children become teenagers, which is beautiful. Let's take those teenagers and get them to the point where they're finishing high school. If you were asked to give the commencement address at a high school graduation ceremony, what advice would you give the graduates? Whether or not they're going to go to college, regardless of their major or their career goals, what's the one thing they have to do to be successful?
2: I will say regardless if they go to college or not, or if they choose a different type of career, be passionate. Try to find anything, whatever you like, that you feel passionate about it, because then that means that they're going to be good at it perhaps pursuing a college degree because I might be able to make more money. Yes, it's all good as long as you like it, as long as you feel that you are enjoying it rather than, oh, this is something I have to do because I have to do it. So I will say teenagers, when they need to pick and choose and receive lots of of advice from different experts, Just thinking about is this is something that I feel the passion. Yes,
1: passion is so important. And I I think it really helps us to, helps me get out of bed every day. That's for sure. I can't imagine doing a job from day to day that oof, that I was just punching the clock and couldn't wait to escape every day. I certainly don't want my healthcare providers to be feeling that way when they're trying to help me and my family. Correct. So, Melena, how can people learn more about you and the Maternal Child Health Consortium?
2: So, we have a main phone number, which is 610-344-5370, or our website, which is ccmchc.org.
1: And we'll put all of that in the show notes. So if you're driving right now, don't worry about trying to stop or hit rewind in order to spell it out. Check it out later on. Show notes will give it all to you. Now, thank you, Melina, so much for joining and sharing all about the Maternal Child Health Consortium with us today. And thank you so much for having me. And everybody else out there, thank you, as always, for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or your platform of choice so we can help even more people to increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And finally, if you want to download my free guide to equipment recommendations for virtual influence, including my picks for microphones, lights, and more, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite.
0: It may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in their work, family, health, and life.